0: Poetry. Girl. Poetry. Girl. Poetry. 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 All around the world. Poetry. All around the girl. Poetry. All around the world. Poetry. All around the world. Poetry night rings through. Um, but right now we have a feature. Cynthia French. Is here um, with you. So you you came to us from from Seattle, did you? Come yeah. So I'm really bad at settling in, um, and so I'm trying to do that. Um, that's the biggest project. I have a pro a big project that has nothing to do with poetry. That. Um, kind of motivated me to move here um, but that's kind of secret because I don't want you guys to steal my idea and then I won't have any projects to do after that but unless either of any of you guys are planning on making any kind of doll that has to do with a sport um, then I think I'm probably cool but that's what I'm planning to do So, so yeah actual reasons given why when asked why I'm moving to Seattle because I like coffee and rain and it was too cold this past winter way too fucking cold it's too hot in minnesota in the summer and i miss the mountains that sounds inspirational right i'm returning to the mountains i was born in idaho i don't like to hike but i hear i can see the mountains from the rooftop of my subleased apartment that'll be pretty to look at because my life has been playing out like a Scratched Breakfast Club DVD and like Ali Sheedy's character, I just don't have anything better to do. Between work shifts and adopting cats, my time here has been a scrolling newsfeed. I'm just sort of following along. Maybe the sea salt will remind me that I once liked to swim in oceans. Because Joe told me I should, and Joe knows things. He has his shit together. I mean, he works for the mayor because my gym buddy lives there now and I have only been to the gym twice since we moved away from one another like three years ago because I assume I'm reaching midlife and I need to decide on a crisis because it's halfway between Vancouver and Portland because I just want to build cat trees and market research has shown Seattle to be a good market for pet owners I didn't do any market research but I do have cats and ideas, and three hammers I found while packing, and I don't want to turn into my mother. See, she'd never dye her hair pink, or move out of her house, or face her demons. That made more sense when my hair was pink. I haven't seen my demons face to face either, I guess, but maybe they're in Seattle, waiting for me with an umbrella and a latte, just hanging out, looking all big and mysterious, like the mountains. So, um so yeah, I moved to Seattle um, last year and uh, was there for about 14 months and realized that it's really expensive there. Um, and uh, I tend to work in nonprofit jobs, um, which doesn't always work in Seattle unless you can get one of those fancy nonprofit jobs that like, United Way or dealing with the homeless or something. Um, but I didn't, um, get one of those jobs. So I, uh, I came here and I have another nonprofit job working for the arts, um, which is great, um, but doesn't pay as much as United Way does. Um, but anyway, um, that's cool. I'm actually working in Linden. (laughs) So I'm excited to hear your stories. Um, but, uh, at the Janssen Arts Center, which is cool. And then, um, a couple days a week I cut fabric at Joanne's, which is nice. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, I think Bellingham is, feels good right now. I've been here since the end of September and, uh, I'm still getting used to it, but got plans. We'll see. So I kind of in- introduced myself to you guys a little bit with a poem. Um, yeah. My first word was chocolate, the foreshadowing it's obvious i have three scars from my childhood an x on my middle finger with a swing set chain took hold a slash on my knee from going the wrong direction on a metal twisting slide and a gray freckle on my thigh where i stabbed myself with a pencil on accident the symbolism of any is uncalculated i just let things happen i'm lost in this world of online scrabble and i'd rather be roller skating bumper sticker philosophy and the time i take to think about everything i need to do I could have done it all. The worst part is I know this. I'm stuck in this mental jello mold floating with a misplaced pineapple. It's easier waiting for someone's fingers to come in and scoop you out than to open your eyes to the pressure of bone dust and artificial flavoring. I call myself an artist, but I struggle with actually doing my art. I get into organizing because it takes that responsibility off my shoulders. I take compliments poorly. They inhabit my over analytical brain reminding me that I could be doing so much more. My first time off that high dive at age five, I just went for it. Things were certain then. You did good, you got a Dairy Queen dip cone. These days you can work your ass off and land in an apartment full of rejection. It's the curse of creative people, she tells me, to exist in this world of expectations. You grow up, get a job, get married, have kids, retire, die. I haven't done any of these things recently and I don't think I want to, but figuring out what I do want, that's the real hurdle. I get these huge ideas, start making plans and then freak myself out with the possibility that it might actually work. Then what? There's no order to things in a world that simplifies life into procreation and picket fences. Each year, I gain empathy for those crazy artists, the ones that commit suicide or drink heavily or cut off body parts, not because I see myself jumping off at any of their bridges, but because I share their confusion, that inability to answer questions posed in holiday letters and school essay assignments. What are you doing with your life? Once, my sister and I entered this Easter coloring contest, and she laughed at me for painting my bunny purple, informing me there are no purple bunnies in real life. But those judges, they must have sensed something in a four-year-old's crayon strokes to offer encouragement and a first-place prize, a purple stuffed bunny sitting proudly in a basket of chocolate treats. Or maybe it was more practical than that. Maybe they'd already bought That stupid bunny. Today I'm 47 years old, and I'm scared I'm never going to get there. I alternate weeks between writing poems and frantically writing resumes, still trying to figure out which one is more important. And the answer sheet, it doesn't match the... pop quiz. It's what happens when you ask for directions in a small town in Idaho. It's looking for that building that used to be a piggly wiggly. It's challenging yourself to use all 64 crayons. It's exposing your skin to a new lover and wondering exactly what it is you meant that first time you said the word chocolate. Thank you. So, um... Yeah, so I have this chapbook. I'm gonna read a couple of um, shorter pieces from it. Um, it's called Rough Drafts and Rejects. And um basically, I was applying for this job uh to teach creative writing in this arts private school in Michigan for some reason. And uh so I had to put together a writing sample and then I said, oh, well, I put together this writing sample, let's turn it into a book. <clears throat> What's to become of it for Marty? When you're dead, the things you were working on before just lay there, unfinished. It's easy with poems. Any editor could come along and throw them together chronologically and make an anthology. But it's different with old cars. Sure, someone could come along and finish rebuilding that Volkswagen van, but it won't be yours anymore. It will just be a Volkswagen van that somebody finished rebuilding. Nobody will remember that you finished the dashboard, the care you put into it, and, oh, the plans you had for the upholstery. Those decisions will go to someone else, like the girlfriend you decided not to marry, wedding fantasies shared over park benches in London. None of it will matter. It wasn't even yours to begin with. Thank you. <laughs> is something happening? Ah, uh, somebody's locked out. Ah, oh, I see. Secret entrance door. Oh, that's my other roommate. Hi Nia. <laughs> she said she was gonna be late. Um this is the poem that I shared um that was in the the um on the website for this week. Um and it's kind of it's it's a poem that I wrote for my sister um after an Edward Hopper painting um after shortly after 9/11 um and my sister was getting married and she didn't want me to come to the wedding because she didn't want me to get on a plane because she was worried about those kinds of things and um it that was just kind of one thing that kind of showed our differences in nature um and, uh, it kind of reminded me of, of, um, of that when I saw this, uh, painting, um, by Edward Hoffber that has two women sitting at a table. And you can see out the window, um, if those of you who aren't familiar, he's the person that painted Nighthawks, which is that famous painting with the people at the diner. Um, but he has a lot of really beautiful paintings where they'll, you'll, there'll be one or two people in them. Looking, and you'll see somebody looking at something and you're not sure what they're looking at or what happened right before that. They're really great storytelling um, paintings. And so this one, these two women are sitting at this coffee shop, and you can see um, outside the sign, it's called Huey's, and you can see the expression of one of the women's faces, but not the other. So it's called sharing coffee. The last time we shared a table, sisters, intimate secrets it was orange plastic decorated with blue and green plaid over white like a tablecloth we had these little cups saucers and bowls filled with strawberry kool-aid lucky charms and black cherry jello and holly hobby cookies making up grown-up things to say over coffee that wasn't coffee really like these two here in this painting trying to talk over coffee, trying to pretend it was just coffee, just another cup. That woman with her back to me is reaching out. Maybe today she'll tell her just how much it means, and maybe there will be more cups of coffee. Maybe they won't have to wait at Huey's too long to be noticed, to go beyond just remembering images and orange tables, plastic-wheeled horses. age eleven she sits there looking aggravated at the camera squinting towards the sun sand that is more rocks than anything underneath her outstretched legs long in proportion for a girl of eleven hair braided twice bound in reds and blues reproduced in her shorts and windbreaker white socks striped just below the knee Dirty seekers surrounded by boats leaving for or back from picnic lunches across the lake. Little Beaver Campground, the annual family trip. She thinks it is after this that I started getting fat. All right. I think I'm going to share with you. um, I like to read a piece by somebody else during a feature. And... um, yeah. And so I've been um it's been a really interesting week. Lots of things are happening. Um my roommate Lindsay had a birthday yesterday. You can say happy birthday, Lindsay. Um yeah, and there's um has anybody seen the movie This Is Where I Leave You? I think that's what it's called. It has um um Oh my gosh, I'm so bad with actors' names. Um, it has, uh, that really famous comedian that does the Sarah Palin impersonations. What's her name? Tina Fey. Yeah, Tina Fey, and then that, um, the guy who was in, um, oh, see, I, was, I suck at this. Um, the really great actor guy who was in a lot of movies. <laughs> but, but, and it has, uh, it has, uh, Jane Fonda in it as well. Um, and uh, she plays the mom and the kids are coming home because the father has died and um, there's all this stuff happening and they're having to sit the um, the Jewish sitting thing where you do for seven days um, and, uh, um, and um, all these things start happening but there's a quote from that movie that Tina Fey's character says um, to the other guy, the famous dude's na- character and she says, anything can happen, anything happens all the time. And that's kind of like, I don't know, it's just a great motto for this week. And um, and this poem is by a friend of mine called Kristen O'Keefe Aptewitz from her book The Year of No Mistakes, and it's called Your Friends Are Having More Sex Than You. <laughs> and they are having better sex too. They are making more money at their jobs, which are more fulfilling. They have better looking coworkers who laugh at their jokes. Your friends are reading books that will improve their lives, make them smarter, kinder, making them look better naked. Your friends don't need as much sleep as you. Thanks to the new diet, they have so much more energy. Your friends not only know what wheatgrass is, but they are consuming it and having amazing sex because of it. Your friends own cats. Or, sorry, your friends own cars that start with a push of a button. Your friends wash their jeans. Your friends smile because they are happy. Because they have nothing to hide. Because life is so fucking great. Your friends smile because they mean it. Your friends, your friends are all smiling. Right now. All at once. Always. Right? Stupid friends. So, uh, so, yeah, so um, this uh, this next poem, I think I needed that one to get to this one. This is an anthology uh, called there We Will Be Shelter, Poems for Survival. It was put together by Andrea Gibson um, with the help of a lot of people. And Kristen actually has a poem in here um, as do I, which I'm going to read for you. Guide to Surviving Your Mother's Suicide Attempt. Be prepared for follow-up questions. People don't let you stop with your mother in the hospital. They want to know about the prognosis, the illness, the cure. Be prepared that people can't handle the truth. You can't go all Colonel Nathan Jessup on them. This isn't a make-believe courtroom, and you are not Jack Nicholson. Be prepared to tell the truth. Or be prepared to lie. Hint. Lying is easier. Give your mom an easy cancer or maybe diabetes, something chronic but not completely debilitating. You'll need a reason to worry about her for a while. Brace yourself for the sting of tilted heads, the sighs and soft taps to your left arm if you decide to say it out loud. My mother tried to kill herself. Do not make jokes. I know this helps you, but this is about them, not you, not her. The story becomes too normal. You learn just how much to share, what to keep to yourself. Describing the scene in the backyard like it was an episode of Cops makes it more accessible. This is not their mother. There is distance. They've never had her homemade buttercream frosting. They've never stayed up late with her sharing popcorn from the special popcorn bowl. They've never sat on the bed watching her push fabric through the sewing machine. Don't describe her eyes, how scared they looked, how empty and scared, how dark the skin around them was, dark and thin and damaged, or her fingers, her hands, the way they fidgeted, the way they felt as she, as she grabbed your face, turning it in different angles as if she was looking at you for the first time. Do not tell them about the journal. Uh, she called your father a monster. This is too personal. Don't even mention it to your father. He's already forgotten what he read. Whatever you decide, in the conversation by telling them everything will be okay, even though it won't. They need closure, a reason to not have to call you, a way out of this whole uncomfortable mess. Thanks, you guys. Um, so I think I have two more for you, that's cool. So I was talking about unpacking my apartment, um, unpacking my room. I've actually gotten to, to a really great place now that I have roommates again. Um, I have art all over my walls. It's the first time I think in eight years I've hung art. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. And I'm down to just like my craft supplies need a home, so I gotta get a desk. For them, and then we'll be good, right? Then I can start crafting, it'll be awesome. But this is on the off-flip side, it's called How to Pack Your Apartment. <clears throat> Whatever you do, don't take any extra time off work. You'll only waste it anyway. Better to work under the pressure of a hectic schedule and ticking calendar. Try out blocks of time that you'll use to sort through boxes that have been filled with junk mail and memories over the last three or 16 years. Who's counting? There's little disparity once that fifth box has been put aside over full from practice. Deep avoidance takes skills not found on any resume. It's not a recommended keyword for your LinkedIn profile. profile go to the grocery store and pick up snacks packing requires snacks salt and pepper chips and licorice maybe a two liter bottle of pop and a loaf of fresh bread and jar of nutella you get the picture pick up a movie at the red box while you're out maybe that new Kristen wig flick it'll keep you focused keep you in the living room keep you near the work But she won't work. You'll eat the snacks and watch the movie and play mindless games on your cell phone. You'll reload your Facebook feed every few minutes. Nothing changes. Nobody has died. Nobody's had a baby. Nobody's solved for X or spontaneously combusted. Nobody's doing anything. Certainly not packing. The stack of cleaning supplies and garbage bags taunt you from the corner. Just throw a few things out, they say. Start a momentum. Clean the refrigerator. Throw out the couch. Make it your snowball. The rest will avalanche if you just give it a little push. It's dark. The movie is over. You start to feel guilty. Go to bed early, sleep late, take a walk to Bob's Java Hut, chat with the barista, tell them how far behind you are in your packing, get some commiseration with your coffee, just an hour or three, then head back home to get your car so you can return to the grocery store. You're all out of snacks. Try protein this time, some pre-checked. Pre-cooked chicken and romaine lettuce for easy wraps. Maybe some hummus and mini carrots. Maybe it was the snacks. Maybe it was the snacks' fault. You had the wrong snacks. Maybe if you get healthier snacks... A movie, something you've seen before, like Pitch Perfect or that thing with the penguins. So you won't really have to pay attention this time. You think it'll help? You think it won't help? Nothing will help. Not even ice cream will help. It's not important. You tell yourself, don't think too much. Just get it done. You tell yourself you're ready to start. You want to feel the excitement, the fresh start, that note of adventure. But you're not doing the work. It's hard to trust yourself when you you've never been anything but temporary. You know the drill. You've been here before. <laughs> so, I'm pretty excited to be in Bellingham and I'm really excited to um to learn some new things. I has anybody here ever um done anything at the foundry? No a couple, one hand up maybe a little bit. So I'm really excited to, there's, it's this cool place here in town where they have like laser cutters and 3D printers and stuff. And so I'm going to go take a 3D printing class and see if I can figure out how to make the things for my secret project. All right. So this last piece I did, um, when I met Dobby at, uh, uh, the Everett Poetry Night, um, down in Everett, uh, And it's a favorite of theirs there, and I mentioned Jane Fonda, so um, hopefully you guys will like it too. It's called Jane Fonda Ruins Everything. The VCR was the Sony wet dream. The result of a decade of appliance making all to get people to watch more television. We're talking 1982 when there was no Blockbuster because nobody had come up with the idea for Blockbuster yet. No DVDs, no Netflix, no Food Channel, no Oprah Winfrey Network. You watch television on your television when the printed TV guide told you your programs were on and cartoons only existed on Saturday mornings. It was awesome! Then Jane Fonda shows up in a jazzercise class looking cuter than her aerobics teacher and someone got this idea that if they taped Jane Fonda wearing a pink leotard and leg warmers doing exercises to music then maybe they could sell a few videos. To housewives who were too busy or embarrassed to go to the gym and sell, they did. One million copies of Jane Fonda his workout video in three short years and vcr cells skyrocketed and spandex manufacturers went bonkers and ladies headbands flew off the shelves faster than home permanence and 19 videos later 17 million video sales later american women still feel fat but they can sit at home with their videos eating microwave movie butter flavored popcorn wearing fluorescent spandex body suits if they want because this isn't a body image poem this is about how another drive in movie theater closed and there are only 338 left in the United States Five in Washington and maybe I'm being a bit nostalgic here but I think everyone should experience a drive-in movie but Hollywood is getting rid of film and like family farms before them the drive-ins can't afford the upgrades especially if none of you people are going to them Soon, we'll have no reason to cram eight of our closest friends into the trunks of our cars. Memories of seeing E.T. in a rainstorm will be washed down the the sewer drain. Grease the movie will become even more obsolete than Grease the musical. But this isn't how about how the video killed the radio star it's about how Jane Fonda ruins everything like patriotism and realistic expectations I will never look sexy in spandex or secure my father an Academy Award by buying the rights to a screenplay of what will become my mother's favorite movie and directing him in the starring role I will never cause a boom in the world of home appliances while simultaneously destroying an icon of American teenage makeout culture. All on a fluke. I don't even know how Twitter works. I haven't taken a ballet class in like 27 years or acted in 20 or pruned my hair in at least 19 or worn spandex like ever. I'm all out of chances. Outdated technology, a fluorescent sock caught in the rusty chicken wire fence around the drive-in movie theater parking lot. All thanks to you, Jane Fonda. All thanks to you. Thank you. That was awesome. Thanks, Cynthia. I guess I guess, I guess we're we're curious, curious curious, guys, we'll hear more. We'll hear more we'll hear more we'll hear that. We'll hear Do more Poetry then. Poetry. So I guess poetry, I guess we'll bring more poetry, I guess we'll hear more poetry then. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages. This is so good. Oh.